You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Chinese Communist Party unleashed a new CCP variant. And America's CCP sympathizers are afraid NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers might expose the wickedness of the CCP. Competitive COVID propaganda. That's the new variant Rodgers talked about with podcaster Joe Rogan. The truth is, competitive COVID propaganda has inflicted irrevocable damage to the thin and fading trust between professional athletes and ownership. As the risk of the vaccines become more and more clear, athletes will realize ownership offered them up as pawns in a globalist game. So did their unions. All of their unions agreed to the draconian COVID protocols. The NFL and the NBA had the most punitive rules because their unions are the weakest and have the worst leadership. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host, your unshaven host. Happy Monday. It's very rare for me to come in on a Monday unshaven. You know, I got the whole weekend to shave, but I just couldn't do it. I, I, I kind of like this gray beard of mine, and maybe I'm just getting lazy. Anyway, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We have a great week of shows planned for you to, uh, this week, and we have an awesome show planned for you today. Uh, TJ Moe will be here, Steve Kim will be here, and then get ready to be overwhelmed by beauty, femininity, smartness, intellect. We got three awesome ladies that will be in studio with me, uh, will make me look a lot better, make me sound a lot smarter. Uh, Lauren Chin will be here. Uh, of course, you guys remember Jill Savage. Uh, and of course, you guys remember uh, Tiffany Odom. We're going to reset and redo our House of Dragons conversation from uh, last Monday. We're going to review the show. Every, I think it's a 10-episode run, and we're going to review all 10 episodes right here on this show every Monday. And Lauren Chin, Jill Savage, and uh, Tiffany Odom will be here with me in studio uh, to do that. And so, awesome. Fantastic show, uh, but we're going to start with a fire, and we're going to start with a fire that continues the blaze that I set on Friday. We got more to that COVID story. We got more to me demanding apologies be offered up to Cole Beasley and Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving and all the athletes that had the balls and the courage to stand against the vaccine. Aaron Rodgers did a podcast over the weekend, and uh, we're going to talk about it. Aaron Rodgers is the most dangerous and important man in professional sports. 
The Green Bay quarterback and reigning NFL MVP can articulate American Professional Sports League's greed-driven betrayal of their athletes. So far, most athletes believe the only consequence of American sports bowing to the CCP is a fattened bank account. Young, poorly educated, and dependent on social media algorithms for guidance, modern athletes fail to recognize the danger of globalism and abandonment of traditional American values. Aaron Rodgers is no longer young. Specks of gray highlight his mane. Intellectual curiosity compels him to seek information beyond what Twitter and Facebook approve. He engages with the disruptive. He flirts with cancellation. On Saturday, during a three-hour interview, uh, podcaster Joe Rogan played the role of Morpheus and offered Rogers the red pill and the blue pill. Rogers channeled Neo and joined the rebellion. The Matrix, competitive COVID propaganda. That's what we witnessed Saturday. In his discussion with Rogan, Rodgers began the process of unpacking the COVID duplicity the NFL unleashed on its players and employees at the behest of Big Pharma. Take a listen. And then we're going to virtue signal to say, look how righteous our league is. We have 95% compliance yes. with the vaccine. Compliance. And if you don't, we're going to send a, a stooge to your team to show you graphs of your vaccination percentage of your team compared to the rest of the league, which actually happened. Really? Yeah. What was the stooge like? Oh, I mopped the floor with him. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. See, again, that's why people are like, no one knew your vaccination status. You lied to your teammates. No, no, no. Day three of training camp, they sent this stooge in, and, and he showed these slides about what your vaccination percentage was in your team, where you compare to the rest of the league. And I started asking him questions about liability. Oh, I'm not a lawyer. Okay, cool. But you're in here talking about all these different things, and you don't talk about anybody's personal health issues. There's zero exemptions. You took out religious exemptions. You took you took out uh, PEG exemptions. You took out anybody's ability to have uh, an opinion. Uh, I don't want to do this. That's my quarterback. I freaking love Aaron Rodgers. I have not always loved Aaron Rodgers, but I'm sorry. I am team Aaron Rodgers a thousand percent. This guy has a pair. He is very, very dangerous for the NFL and corporate media. They don't like him. I love him. It's unfair to totally single out the NFL. The entire sports world joined the competitive COVID propaganda movement. The NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NCAA, they were no better than the NFL. They all bowed to the CCP and the globalist agenda. All the leagues applied as much pressure as possible for young, perfectly healthy athletes to bend over and take an experimental medical trial that does not prevent COVID or its spread. Worse, it's a rushed medical trial that we do not know the full scope of its side effects. In terms of betrayal and damage to trust, this is far worse than the NFL's alleged dishonesty about concussions. 
CTE, is junk science propagated by the anti-football movement. Even the Washington Post has attacked the alleged discoverer of CTE, Bennett Amula, the doctor celebrating the Will Smith-fronted concussion movie. We're living through an information and propaganda war. Aaron Rodgers is the highest profile influencer to join the rebellion. He could wake up his athletic peers to the fact they're being used against their own best interests and the best interests of America. Rodgers might be the most dangerous athlete since Muhammad Ali changed the approved narrative on the Vietnam War. The NFL's media partners will denigrate Rodgers for consenting to an interview with Rogan and discussing the illogical COVID protocols that defined professional sports last year. NBC's Mike Florio, the founder of ProFootballTalk.com, the complaint that Rodgers dredged up a dead issue. Florio and many other media outlets focused on Rodgers admitting that he misled the media a year ago about his vaccination status when he used the word immunized. That's not the story. Pro sports leagues misleading their employees at the behest of pharmaceutical companies and the vaccine crazy Biden administration is the real story. Big Pharma controls television and the sports leagues. That's what's driving competitive COVID propaganda. Remember five years ago when Papa John's Pizza was the NFL's most visible advertiser? John Schneider is an all-American success story. He grew up in small town Indiana. He started a pizza parlor in the closet of his dad's bar. He became a pizza billionaire. He and Peyton Manning promoted Papa John's Pizza during commercial breaks of NFL games. John Schneider has traditional American values. His brand fit the old NFL. The new NFL pivoted to a globalist agenda. The new NFL, like all of television, surrendered to Big Farmer's advertising thirst. So out goes Papa John, in comes Pfizer, in comes Big Farmer, in comes Moderna, in comes all of the uh, drug pushers in America, the biggest dope dealers in the world took control of American TV and professional athletics and professional sports on TV, because all professional sports are, is a television show. Big Pharma has pills and vaccines to sell on TV. Big Pharma cut a deal with the Trump-led government to develop vaccines free of any liability for their side effects. The NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and MLB all hopped on the Big Pharma gravy train. The athletes were treated as lab rats and guinea pigs. Aaron Rodgers knows this. More importantly, he can articulately explain this. Pro sports leagues don't want this explained. So their media partners will, very, will be very reluctant to address Rodgers' interview with Joe Rogan. They'll pretend no one cares. The truth is, competitive COVID propaganda has inflicted irrevocable damage on the thin and fading trust between athletes and ownership. As the risks of the vaccines become more and more clear, athletes will realize ownership offered them up as pawns in a globalist game. So did their unions. All of their unions agreed to the, to the draconian COVID protocols. 
The NFL and the NBA had the most punitive rules because their unions are the weakest and have the worst leadership. Here's hoping Aaron Rodgers doesn't stop with his Joe Rogan interview. He needs to stay on this topic. Here's hoping Rodgers inspired other athletes to stand as men and support guys like Novak Djokovic, the world's top tennis player who is being prevented from playing in the US Open because he won't take the vaccine. <laughs> Moderna is one of the primary sponsors of the tournament. We all must reject the rulership of the Chinese Communist Party and all of its big pharma-backed COVID variants. Mm. That's my fire. We're picking up right where we left off on Friday. This story is being ignored everywhere, but it's the biggest story going in sports. This, what they've done with this COVID thing is going to change professional sports even more than what we've seen in the past. There's already been very little trust between athletes and ownership. Now it's all out the window. As these athletes figure out how much they've been betrayed, the, the things they've in, injected into their body at the behest of the NFL, unnecessarily. Hey, when those guys take cortisone shots and, and all this other stuff, they know what they're doing. They've seen other athletes do it all in the past. There was no reason for young, perfectly healthy athletes to be taking this vaccine. I've said that from the beginning. If fat old people like me want to take the clot shot, that's on us. That's appropriate for us. Just, just in the interest of transparency, and, and I've been reluctant to say this because you know, superstition, whatever, I don't know, but I refuse to take that shot. And I'm fat and old. But, but I get why fat and old people take the shot. I get it. But I've been steadfast. There's no way in hell some young athlete in the prime of his health, in perfectly good shape, should take that vaccine. It's an experiment. You don't experiment on young people. And you damn sure, if you're interested in protecting your relationship with these athletes that you make millions of dollars with, you don't pressure them into taking a vaccine they don't need. One that hasn't been proven to be very effective. One that according to all the recent studies from across the globe has some side effects that these athletes will be dealing with for the rest of their lives, potentially. There'll be no trust. And so when we look around and wonder why a Kevin Durant is sitting like, hey, I want out of Brooklyn. You know what? I know I've only been here a year. I know I just signed that contract, but F these people. They don't care about me. I don't care about them. That's the new standard. And again, we've already seen this standard, but now it is far more justified. And that's why the media should be covering this because trust me, these conversations are going on with athletes across all NFL locker rooms, across all NBA chat groups. Wherever athletes gather, they've all are doing the math. They're all recalculating like, damn, they really talked me into this, this stupid 
stuff. They really put all this pressure and, and embarrassed me and threatened me and told me uh, we may not keep you on the team if you don't take this shot. And I folded and did it. Never again will I trust these people. Never again will I believe, oh, we're all family. And even the, the owners who are sitting there saying, well, I took the clot shot too. Well, guess what? The owners are old. They can justify taking the clot shot because the only people that COVID killed was old people and fat people. That's who got killed by COVID. Obesity and elderly people. So the, again, COVID ain't the killer. Obesity and being old is the real killer. And talking these athletes into doing something that was appropriate for fat people and old people was stupid and reprehensible. And trust me, these athletes will hold them accountable or who knows? Maybe these athletes are so stupid and, and, and as it relates to some of them, I believe they're that stupid because I look at the leadership that, 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 uh, that they elect and put in positions of power. When I look at DeMarie Smith still in play, still in power as the head of the NFLPA, I don't know, these guys are nuts. They want weak leadership. When I look at, uh, it's not Michelle Roberts, they didn't put a new woman in charge of the NBA. I, I, I forget her. I was like, these guys are nuts. They bought everything social media sold them. Oh, just put any, oh, what we need here is diversity, inclusion, and equity. Let's put a little midget in here in, in charge of, of the NFLPA, a dude that ain't never played a drop of football in his life. Let's put his weak ass in charge of our union. And in the NBA, let's put this black woman in charge, uh, in, in charge of our union. And I don't, ain't no way a group of men playing professional sports need to be putting people that cannot relate to them or their struggle. And again, the, 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 this is how you know the game is being played on these guys. They had Gene Upshaw, and Gene passed, God rest his soul. They had Gene Upshaw, a former NFL player, leading the NFL Players Union. And what did the corporate media do? Trash Gene Upshaw every chance it could. That was your indicator that he was actually a threat. Do you ever hear corporate media trashing the little five foot six guy that has no connection to football who's now leading the NFLPA? Do you ever hear corporate media trash him? Not only do they not trash him, if John Gruden says in a private email that a dude with big lips has big lips, they call for uh, John Gruden's job because this dude is so weak that someone putting it in an email that he has big lips is a mortal wound. And it's an example of the racism that I face. And oh my God, I got these big, huge lips. And he called me out for them in a private email at a time when everybody 
is bending over backwards to get big lips. They're making millions injecting things into women's lips to give them the lips that Dee Marie Smith has naturally. I have not met a woman that does not like my big lips. She may not like my gut, but she loves my big lips. And this dude, oh my God. Oh, some white man that I don't even know said I got big lips. He said it in an email. He must be fired. That's how weak the leadership is at the NFLPA. Everybody knows it. Tom Brady has taken shots at this dude publicly. Everybody knows they have horribly weak leadership, but the corporate media won't call them out. And now that they agreed to all this uh, garbage and, and uh, as it relates to COVID and the vaccine and Aaron Rodgers is calling it out. The NFL sent a stooge in there to, to tell us X, Y, and Z. He wasn't talking about D. Marie Smith, but he might as well ha should have been. Because D. Marie Smith is just another stooge for the NFL. I'm, this is the weakest group of men in the history of America. They have millions of dollars, no brains, and no balls. No brains and no boss. That's a bad combination. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will wake him up. I hope and pray that he does. <sighs> Rodgers said a bunch of interesting uh, things in his interview. I, I want to go back to, I, I got a clip I want to put, because I'm a, you know what? I'm gonna be a bit narcissistic here and pat myself on the back, and and but I, I'm to make another point when I when I because I keep throwing around modern day Muhammad Ali and I said it today about Aaron Rodgers uh, back in September and again and and I'm saying Aaron Rodgers is as dangerous as Muhammad Ali for for the way he conducted himself in this interview with Joe Rogan and the fact that he's starting to articulate. Publicly, he went on, that's the biggest platform you got. That, that's, that's better than going on any of these cable news shows or sitting down with any of these uh, clowns over at ESPN. This dude went and sat down with Joe Rogan, who's got a massive audience and massive influence, and started spelling out how the NFL played these people. It was a high class, I told you so, for three hours with Joe Rogan. Hats off to Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan. But, but, and I say today, he's as dangerous because of his ability to explain his profile, the level of success, four-time NFL MVP, reigning NFL MVP, plays the most important position in sports, plays for a legendary franchise in the Green Bay Packers, and he is taking the NFL on. That's why I compare him to Muhammad Ali. But the guy who took the most risk is Kyrie Irving who plays in the NBA for the Brooklyn Nets, 
jeopardized some of the money he was supposed to make last year, set out most of the regular season because he stood up to the NBA and that woke culture and everybody just bending over and taking the vaccine. He actually stood up and look, there were other NBA players that did as well, but they weren't playing in New York where the penalties were much harsher because of that socialist, communist, Marxist uh, mayor they had, Bill de Blasio, and how weak Eric Adams is. Again, these, these are the weakest men in the history of America. If Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson were around today, they would pimp slap all of these bitches and they would all fall to their knees crying in fear, all of them. The ones that's talking from LeBron James on down, all of them, the weakest group of men in the history of America are in charge today. Joe Biden, Barack Obama, all of them, weak. And these dudes this up here on this wall would slap any of them and they would all fall to their knees in tears. I got distracted. Oh, I wanted to give myself credit for I'm sorry for doing this. Occasionally I get very narcissistic. And, but I wanted to give myself credit for pointing out in real time, back in September of last year when Kyrie Irving took this stance, and again, he showed more balls than anybody, and he got ridiculed for it. And I showed you on Friday the clowns on ESPN. We could have played a whole laundry list of clowns on ESPN, clowns at Fox Sports, all criticizing Kyrie Irving because he was man enough. He was more man than any of them that all took the clot shot because their employer told him to do so. But Kyrie wouldn't. And so back in September, I just want to play a little clip of myself. This is for me back in September comparing Kyrie Irving uh, to Muhammad Ali. Rolling Stone magazine and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sold out. Oh boy. They're flax for the establishment now, fighting to uphold vaccine conscription. Kyrie Irving is Muhammad Ali, a conscientious objector, resisting an unjust culture war. Over the weekend, Rolling Stone published a long-winded hit piece on Irving and other NBA players who were reluctant to take the experimental COVID vaccines. According to Rolling Stone, anti-vax NBA players are standing in the way of the league imposing a vaccine mandate. This is a bad look for a league that prides itself on being left of Karl Marx. Irving is seen as the leader of the anti-vaxxers who are pushing around the NBA, according to the writer Matt Sullivan. The article painted Irving as a nut job. It criticized him for liking posts from an Instagram account that previously posted messages alleging conspiracy theories against black people. The magazine trotted out 74-year-old Abdul-Jabbar, a 1960s radical who supported Ali, to reprise the role of David Susskind, the 1960s television host who shredded Ali for refusing induction into the military. The vaccinated want to impose the vaccine on everybody because they've taken the vax. That's it. I did it, so you gotta do it. 
Hmm. It's the same reasoning that drove the backlash against Ali. No one believed in the Vietnam War. No one saw the war as central to protecting America and American freedom. Vietnam was a propaganda campaign for the military industrial complex. Ali courageously avoided his celebrity responsibility to and refused to participate in that propaganda campaign. Kyrie is standing against the pharmaceutical industrial complex that sponsors a high percentage of the advertisements aired during NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball games. Rolling Stone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they're the sellouts. Only reason, if I had known that I was gonna look that hideous in that clip, I may not have asked for that clip. My God, what was going on with me then? I was much fatter. Something was going on with my face and skin. I don't know who the makeup artist was in September or what the lighting situation was here, but I damn near looked like a monster. I hope you guys enjoyed that clip. I actually did, because it makes me feel better about my own work <laughs> progress, I think. But anyway, uh, that was me patting myself on the back. Sometimes I gotta do that, because no one else wants to pat me on the back. Uh, anyway, uh, let's bring in uh, TJ Moe. TJ, I'm not gonna keep you long, but I did want to uh, invite in some other voice. We're gonna bring TJ Moe in as well. Uh, besides being spooked by how spooky I looked in that last video, uh, what do you think of my contention that, we'll, we'll start here, my contention that uh, this COVID protocols may inflict irrevocable damage to the relationship between ownership and athletes. You were already well under your weight loss by the time I met you. I, I never knew that size Jason Whitlock. Uh, that was September. <laughs> I came in in late November. You were uh, experiencing inflation before the rest of us. Uh, you look good now, though. That's a good side-by-side. -side. Um, as yeah. far as damage that, you know, irreparable damage, I, I just don't think so. I think the players are too dumb. And this, this goes to... Um, we were having a little bit of a uh, off-book discussion, I guess, b between Steve Kim and Royce White in our group text. And my, as they were going back and forth, my thought was about, you know, sh should players be revolutionaries and how do they do these things, right? And Royce's position is that they should. And he's been clear about that. And I think Royce is too smart to understand how dumb everyone else is, right? Royce is the rare breed of the guy that has the IQ to do that and the talent to go along with it. And so Royce, I think, could lead some sort of revolt. And in this case, he could, be, could have been, probably would have been Kyrie, right? Um, but most of these other guys don't have the IQ. And, and most of the guys, as we've talked about, don't really, um, they're not in the league long enough to take any sort of stand. And so it's got to be the top, top guys, and then they'll give cover for the rest. But I don't think there are too many. Aaron Rodgers. Yes, but it's just Aaron, right? Tom Brady had all the same pull and didn't do it. Now, I don't believe Tom actually went and got the, the vaccine myself. I think he probably pulled an Antonio Brown and gave a vaccine card or just said, I'm Tom Brady and I'm not doing this. I don't know what he did. I doubt the guy who's eating um, avocado ice cream is shoving an experimental vaccine into his arm, but he didn't have the balls to stand up and do it like Aaron. So there's something there, whether it's money, whether it's reputation and legacy, the NFL can wreck you in a hurry ask Cole Beasley who right now had what a 10-year career 82 catches last year out of the league tweeting about it 
The NFL can wreck you. There's a few guys they can't wreck. Aaron Rodgers was well aware that as the, the reigning MVP, they couldn't wreck him. But there's so few and far between. Most of the guys just shut up and do what they're told. The only th- well, here's why I disagree with you. I think this issue, as being explained by Aaron Rodgers, is so easy for the athletes to digest because I don't think any of the athletes, because, yeah, pro athletes at that level, 70% of them, even the linemen, even the bigger guys, are, tend to be more careful about what they put into their bodies. They've been educated on that, about diet and about mm-hmm. you know the, the things they do to play. This is so easy to understand and so easy to go, you know what, I had no business doing that. And there were enough guys, there was a half dozen guys on every team that held the line and wouldn't do it and they've had conversations with those guys. And so I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out like, oh damn, the NFL sold us out to Big Pharma, we took an experimental uh, vaccine, probably talked members of our family into it, but well, we're doing it in the NFL, and the NFL's doing it, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and as more and more of these studies come out and say, hey, here are the possible side effects, and, and if any of the side effects start impacting people's ability to reproduce far and again because it's like one thing the early unexplained death thing that's been going on that that's that's easier i think for guys to mentally jump over than did i compromise my ability to reproduce and or to reproduce healthy kids and did my wife and or girlfriend do the same because you know if I'm taking a vaccine, she's taking a vaccine. I just think this is so easy to understand that, and so easy to see the betrayal and see that, hey, we're not all one big family. This whole thing is about the drug companies and, and the government and getting on board with that. I, I, I think there is a chance that the players snap out of it a bit. Few things on this. The the question is, was there trust to be eroded? And I don't think there was. I don't think anybody in the NFL was walking in and saying, these guys have my best interests at heart. What they said is they have a really big bank account. And so I'm willing to put up with some stuff in the short term to deal with this. I think that's the vast majority of all players. You talked about this in your opening. The NFL is not a brotherhood. High school football and college football are brotherhoods. I think college football is actually starting to deteriorate now because of the of the transfer portal and all the different stuff that goes on. But when I was there, it was a brotherhood. You went in with your class and you graduated with that class. I think we had 20-something in that class, and those were our guys. And so the NFL is not like that. There's a new guy next to your locker every couple of weeks you know, with, with the guys that they have coming in uh, year by year. Certainly, it's different. It's a totally different makeup. So I don't think the brotherhood thing exists. And, and I think you're correct that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand this stuff. So I, I think that was a miscategorization on my part. I think you have to be articulate. And that was my point about Royce. Royce can tell us his points. Aaron Rodgers can tell you your points. Most of these guys, not super articulate. And so they have to sit there in front of a bunch of cameras with four masks on with reporters saying, why are you the one a-hole who wants to kill your grandmother? And they can't explain all the studies and they can't tell you what's going on and they just have to sit there and most of those guys don't want any part of that so they're willing to just do what they got to do without now the knowledge 
later having this, the studies go on that says, hey, there's, there's some fertility issues here. And hey, there's myocarditis. You may have some tread on your heart even if you survive this stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on after the fact. But paying attention in real time, that stuff was suppressed. If you wanted to go find it, there was, there was a couple guys. Steve Dace is talking about it. Daniel Horowitz uh, here at The Blaze. Alex Berenson. Uh, Horowitz now off Twitter for good, right? Uh, Steve Dace had to be careful what he said on Twitter. And Alex Berenson got kicked off Twitter and had to sue to get back on to just share those type of studies. He was getting permanently suspended to tell the truth. And so a lot of these guys not out there actively searching or just listening to the media. And they're saying, well, I don't know. I can't explain my position and why it wouldn't be a good thing. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. That, I think, is the big issue. It's not the IQ. It's the lack of articulation. And they can't defend themselves. Uh, final question. Do we believe Aaron Rodgers has swallowed the red pill? Is my matrix analogy accurate and that Joe Rogan was Morpheus and Aaron Rodgers was Neo, I believe, although I'm not an expert on the uh, matrix. Has, has, has Aaron Rodgers swallowed the red pill? I think Aaron Rodgers swallowed the red pill a long, long time ago. Rogan just gave him a platform of however many, whatever, 12 million uh, people, however many people watch it per episode because Aaron Rodgers has always been a guy who doesn't take the advice of other people. He, he does, he's, he's estranged from his own family. He and his brother don't get along. This is a guy that was raised in a Christian home and he's on record talking to Danica Patrick, his former girlfriend saying, I don't know how anybody could ever believe in God. This is crazy. So he's never really been a guy who just goes with it. Um, you know, it's, it's he, he and Brett Favre, Brett Favre is, is obviously the icon in green Bay. And they've, they've just recently over the last few years repaired that relationship. He just, he doesn't care. Aaron's always been a guy that, that goes by the beat of his own drum. I think that's partially why he dropped in the draft. What do you go 24 when he was obviously a top five guy and people don't like that type of quirky personality. He said on the Rogan podcast that he likes to work out and read books. So he goes to the grocery store when he needs to in Green Bay and then he goes to Barnes and Noble and that's the only places you're going to find him in Green Bay. And those type of guys are not going to be the ones that are that are choosing the blue pill. This is the guy who just to poke fun at people when he was on, I think it was with Pat McAfee, had the Atlas Shrug book right behind him. He's just trying to stir the pot. So I think he's been red-pilled for quite a long time. He's just finally found the battle he wants to pick. Thank you, TJ. Got to keep it moving. I want to tell you guys about my good friends at Good Ranchers. How much would you be paying if you locked in your car payment when you bought your car the first time? Imagine if you pay the same amount for your current car as you did for your 1980 Toyota Camry. It would be too good to be true, but too good is what Good Ranchers does. They're letting you lock in your price on all the meat you buy, all of it. When you subscribe, your price does not go up for the life of your subscription. A year from now, when meat goes up by another 20, 30, or 50%, this will be the thing you wish you had done. Every item is steakhouse quality and sourced directly from American farms and ranches, and you can pause or cancel anytime you need to use my code. Uh, fearless today and get your box for $30 off plus free shipping. The only thing you'll love more than the prime steaks, better than organic chicken and superior seafood of good ranchers is the price you get when you pay for it forever. Head on over and subscribe now to lock in your price. Go to goodranchers.com fearless. 
Good ranchers, American meat delivered. Hey guys, be good fearless soldiers. You gotta eat, you gotta feed your army at home. You gotta support good ranchers because they support me, you, and what we believe. They're on the right side of all these arguments. You need to be on the right side of Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Use my promo code fearless. Lock in your price. You want to know how you can give back. You want to know how you can fight the system. This is a small way while feeding you and your family. All right, uh, stay tuned. Korean Korean Co-Sell, Stephen Kim, next. But in a great epic novel, you need your protagonists and your antagonists. You yeah. need your heroes and your villains. And I think they just like, we're going to make this guy the villain because he's been so good for so long. And He's not vexed. So let's <laughs> normally though. Like, did you feel like with the press and with? I mean, now oh, no, it's it's, it's, it's uh, there's still that mark. I think really. Yeah, really? I think it ultimately didn't hurt me because at the end of the season, I was playing really well. I came back from COVID. We played Seahawks. We won, and I didn't have a great game that game. But the last like six, seven games, I played really, really well. And then there was a reporter out of Chicago who said that I'm the biggest jerk in the league and he wouldn't vote for me for MVP because of my vac status. <laughs> so it kind of put the rest of the other 49 MVP voters, I think, on notice going, oh, are you going to let your personal political bias enter into a conversation about who the most valuable player of the league is and not vote for this guy because he's not vaxxed? I think that played into at least some of their minds at some point because they would have had to answer, how do you justify not voting for this guy for MVP? Right. So, and, and how my vaccination status, uh, they couldn't get past that. They couldn't get past years of friendship and me doing favors for them, doing interviews with them if they needed something, making sure I made time to you know give them a soundbite or do an interview or come on their show. And I'm talking about a, probably a dozen that I thought were allies in the media, meaning friendly to me, and that they knew. Like, if if they needed a guest or something, and I at the time, I would always make time for them. And haven't heard from any of them. Mm. Mm. Uh, the media does not like Aaron Rodgers uh, because the media is all in bed with the government and big corporate, big pharma, the NFL, uh, they're all in bed together. Steve Kim, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, I, 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 I want to just start here with Mike Florio and people say, oh, this is a dead issue. Why is Aaron Rodgers dredging this back up? Are you kidding me? This isn't remotely a dead issue. And I don't understand why ESPN as best I could tell today, didn't cover this. I, I, I watched, had our team watch a lot of first take. They were talking about some volleyball player at Duke 
that says she was called the N-word at BYU, they spent a good 10, 15 minutes talking about that and not talking about the biggest star in the NFL other than Tom Brady taking on the NFL on the Joe Rogan podcast. Corporate media is scared to death of this whole Aaron Rodgers story and the whole COVID narrative because it makes them all look horrendous. First of all, good Monday to you, Jason. Yeah, Mike Florio, his nickname should be The Chimney. He wanted the smoke, and now he's got all the smoke he wants. This, to me, is interesting as I think about it. You, you could debate the medical aspect of it, the science, the numbers, the analytics of COVID, the real impact. In my view, what Aaron Rodgers is doing, and I think it's actually something that probably interests us more than the medical side of it, Jason, is that this is now a clear referendum on the media. They are not to be trusted. They are no longer journalists, but they are now advocates. And truth is suppressed, and they are basically censored and forced into a certain belief. I just love the umbrage some of these media members are taking. How dare you lie and mislead us? That's our job, to do that to the public. But no one should ever do that to us. Give me a break. I'm glad that Aaron Rodgers is holding a mirror to him saying, yeah, I'm immunized. Deal with it. And this whole, you know what's interesting, Jason? I actually would have taken Aaron Rodgers to task if there would have been teammates even off the record telling certain writers, hey, man, we didn't like what Aaron Rodgers did. It was selfish. He put himself above the team. But you know what? It's a clear indication because we haven't heard anything from any Packer on or off the record. They're probably thinking, man, Aaron was right. I wish I would have had the guts and the leverage to do that to him. So I think that, to me, that's the most interesting part because bottom line is this. I am not saying COVID is over. I want to make that very clear. But when I go around, and I'm going to be at the office in Montebello in East L.A., and this is where I spend most of my money around a lot of good, hardworking Americans, you know nobody wears a mask. Seriously. It's almost like it doesn't exist. There are a few restaurants that I I go into that have that sign saying, please make sure if you have symptoms, uh, have a mask or your COVID ID card. You know what's funny? I think they just forgot to take down the sign because when you walk into the restaurant, everyone's just living their lives. They're partying like it's 2019 again. But again, the media got called out on the carpet and guys like Florio, oh, they got dunked on. And right now at this point, uh, Aaron Rodgers is modern day Daryl Dawkins. I, I compared this thing to the Matrix and Aaron Rodgers getting red-pilled. The other movie analogy that I think applies here is A Few Good Men. That's the Mm -hmm. other takeaway. You can't handle the truth. That's what Aaron Rodgers, if the media is trying to understand why he used immunized and why he misled, it's because he's saying, and and there's reason for saying this, you can't handle the truth. You Mm -hmm. don't like the truth. You don't want the truth. You run from the truth. Your job is to lie and to avoid the truth. And so therefore, I'm not going to give you the truth. That's what he unpacked to Joe Rogan was like, I'm going to tell him immunized, but I'll tell him the full story. But he knows they're going to mishandle the full story and treat the guy because they're all into the absurdity 
of these protocols and masks and all this stuff that had and and experimental vaccines that had no chance of really working the media can't handle the truth and so let's don't get mad when newsmakers don't give it to us and so that's why i say now if you want to cover that story that the media has so damaged its reputation that newsmakers believe well why even waste the truth on them or cover the fact that NFL players, and I guarantee you can find them, they'll talk off the record, uh, or uh, not off the record, but without using their names, they will talk about how they felt like they were misled by their leagues on this COVID vaccine and, and what it was supposed to do for them. The athletes feel misled, but the media wants to wallow in, oh, Aaron Rodgers misled us, rather than covering the people that they want to cover themselves rather than cover the people or the athletes, the other, there's employees that aren't even NFL players who aren't making millions of dollars, who were forced to take this vaccine to keep their job. How about covering it for those people who didn't want to do it? They're making 70, 80,000 bucks a year and felt like they had no choice. How about covering that angle of the story? You know, this whole notion that somehow Aaron Rodgers skirted the system is wrong because it turns out as an unvaxxed player, he had to go through certain protocols that had to be very, very inconvenient and uncomfortable on a daily basis. Um, Personally, once I knew or found out that the manufacturers could not be held liable and there was no liability, I said, you know what, I'm going to wait. I will deal with the consequences. Now, this is interesting, Jason. As of, I would say, six months ago, I, I was still attending certain boxing events as a member of the media where they clearly stated if, you do, if you're not vaccinated, you had to get a 24 to 48 hour rapid test. Now, I don't know if it's the inflation, but those things shot up from about $80 a test to about 140 So there are two cards in March, in April. One of them was at the Galen Center at USC, and the other one was in San Diego. So I had to pay $140 each to go to this place in downtown L.A. to get a test because I'm going to play by the rules. I didn't want to get a fake card, certainly didn't want to get the vaccine. So I'm checking in to get my media credential, and I'm pulling out my test. And they're like, okay, Mr. Kim, enjoy your night. I go, no, I'm tested. They're like, oh, we don't care. Just, just go ahead. Enjoy. Oh, no, no, no. I'm tested. You, I, I did not waste time. They're like, yeah, just enjoy your night, your seats. And I'm like, this is a charade. This is an absolute charade. And trust me, I can have a lot of fun with $280. Here's the other thing that gets me. Um, and again, I have nothing against anyone that got vaccinated. If you believe that your physical condition and your age really precipitated the need for this, by all means, get it. It is your body, your choice unless it's an athlete like Aaron Rodgers, right? So anyway, what I, what I find to be absolutely disturbing, and this is such an agenda, is that when someone who's at any type of public figure gets COVID, it's almost like word for word, they cut and paste. You know, I, I, I've been diagnosed with COVID-19, but thankfully I've had four boosters, a shot of vodka, and a booster shot, and I'm going to get immunized further, or it could have been a lot worse. Think about this. That's like the worst Yelp review you could do. Could you imagine if you went to Pfizer Reuter and they, they unclogged your toilet a couple times, then all of a sudden one day you flush the toilet and shit is all over the kitchen. 
is all over your your uh, bathroom. I wouldn't go up on Yelp and say, you know what? I went to Pfizer Reuter, and I got shit and piss all over my bathroom. But, you know, thankfully, I went to them three, four times. Or it would be in the kitchen. It would be in the living room. It would be in my basement. It might even be in the backyard. So thanks, guys. And I can't wait to use Pfizer Reuter again. It's ridiculous. Isn't that? I mean, sir, think about that. I'm like, every time I read these tweets, I'm like. That's a great analogy. That, that's, not, that's not exactly something that makes me say, you know what? Jab me. Jab me like you're Larry Holmes. Sorry. That's the worst thing. That's the thing that does bug me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. What do you think of my argument that Aaron Rodgers is so articulate and so good at arguing this case that he's as dangerous as Muhammad Ali was in the 1960s and that's why he's going to be denigrated and, and, and they're going to try to silence him in some sort of way. A- am I wrong for suggesting that the message he's carrying could, could have a kind of dangerous impact that Ali's message against the war carried? I think it's very difficult to compare any athlete to Muhammad Ali, given the fact Muhammad Ali actually was forced out of his sport for about two and a half, three years. So that's a sacrifice that no athlete has made since. I don't think ever will. And that's a personal choice. Where Aaron Rodgers is dangerous is that he's not a cliche machine. And in modern-day media, now, I think 20 years ago, you could have silenced a guy like Aaron Rodgers or any athlete because, let's face it, the legacy corporate media had all the control that if they didn't stick a microphone in your face or want to do an interview with you, you could not get your word out. Nowadays, the messaging can be handled right through your cell phone and there are outlets like Joe Rogan and Pat McAfee, which seem to be very much like renegades. They they may not ever admit it, although I think Joe Rogan, it's clear, he's on one side of the political and social realm, and he will absolutely give a platform. And what drives them nuts is, is that if you ever go on YouTube and you look at the number of views that videos from CNN, MSNBC get, and I'm not saying they have small numbers, But look at the number that McAfee and Rogan do on a daily basis. I think that drives the corporate traditional media members absolutely nuts because they used to have the only and biggest soapbox and their words are now being muted. And quite frankly, I think gentlemen and platforms like this, our show, are very much needed because either you want to have a fair discussion and cover both sides of an issue or you're just going to be advocates. Steve, uh, let's get to our approval rating on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I'm going to just tell you this right now. If you don't have him at a smoke show, uh, I mean, as as blazing hot, I don't think I want you back on the show. Uh, So I I don't want to put any pressure on you. Uh, But he better be above a 90. Uh, So anyway, uh, job performance. The guy's the reigning MVP. They lost in the playoffs. Uh, he's 38 years old and just won an MVP, so I'm going to give him a 23 in job performance. Okay, Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest arm talents ever, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He won the MVP. But this is why I went a 20 and not a 25. He's lost too many home playoff games. If he just had one more ring and would have won, at least got to the championship game last year, it would have been higher. So I got to go 20. You're on thin ice, Steve. You're on thin ice. That's that's five points. You've only got five (laughs) points left to play with. Uh, Character, uh, Steve, 
it's almost impeccable. You know, he keeps keeps running through women though, like underwear. So I can't go perfect character here. Uh, so I give him a 22. He's a bit of a playboy. Wait a minute. On that last part, I, I would give him a 50. So hold on, we'll have to have a ph- philosophical. Dis- <laughs> he's not married. He's he's not he need, married. He needs to, trust me, he needs to get married uh, now. D- don't wait till you're in your 50s. All right, this is where I knock him down a little bit. He, he doesn't get along with his family. Come on, Aaron. Aaron, give a call to your mom and dad. Make up with Jordan. Shake hands. Go I've to seen a recent story, Steve. I've seen a recent story where there's there's hope on that in that yeah. regard, that there may be some reconciliation there. And I, I want to say this. If Aaron Rodgers goes to Thanksgiving dinner with this family and that they put like a Thanksgiving cam, I will pay pay-per-view. I would love to see what that con- what that conversation is like for about four hours. So I give him a 20 there. Uh, uh, t- you have no points left to play with here, Steve. Uh, you've, that, that's 10 points you've given away. Authenticity. I don't know if you can be any more authentic uh, than Aaron Rodgers, but I didn't go with a perfect score. I gave him a 22. I gave him a 25. He is who he is. He's odd. He's quirky. He's temperamental. Uh, you can tell certain things get under his skin. But you know what? He is who he is. And, and you know what? God bless him. I gave him a 25. Uh, it factor. Oh, oh, good. Uh, you're, you got a chance here. It factor. Most exciting guy in the uh, NFL. Four-time MVP. Women love the hair. Uh, you know, I gave him a 24. He doesn't look as good as me as I do now, so couldn't give him a perfect score like I'd give myself, but I gave him a 24. You know, he's got a golden right arm, and as the years go on, he's starting to look more and more like Jesus Christ. But also, anytime he does an interview, it means something. And the fact that he agitates certain media members, oh, God, chef's kiss to you. I give him a 25. I think I'm safe at least for this week then, right, Jason? Oh, thank you. Thank there you, you go. There Ladies. you go. Yeah, you find you made oh, wow. blazing hot. We, I got him at ninety-one. You got him at ninety. <laughs> blazing hot. Good job. You survive another day, Steve. Uh, excellent job. Uh, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia/fearless. Uh, we're gonna get into some House of Dragons, <laughs> my new favorite show on HBO. Even though I'm, I'm gonna remain critical of it, but uh, we've got an all-star class, uh, all-star class of uh, women to come on and talk about this show. Uh, Jill Savage, Tiffany Oldham, and Lauren Chen will all be in here in studio with me. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Time for our House of Dragon hour, or we'll take about 30, 40 minutes today 
and reviewed last night's episode of House of the Dragon on HBO Max or on HBO. Uh, I, you, you guys heard uh, Jill Savage and Tiffy and I uh, discussed last week's episode, the premiere last week. Many people misunderstood my critique. Again, it's definitely woke and feminist and has an agenda. But I did say last week, and I'm reiterating again, I find this enjoyable. I like this show. I'm going to stick with it. It has all the best elements so far of what I liked about Game of Thrones. I'm not really into the fight scenes. I wasn't really into the White Walkers and the wall. The things that interested me about Game of Thrones was the fight for power and what people would do in order to gain power. That's why, again, because the fantasy stuff and all that, not really my cup of tea. But the fight for power, love it, because I think it explains America, it explains the world, it explains men and women. We'll do virtually anything for power. And so far, two episodes into the House of Dragons, they're really focused on uh, what people are willing to do uh, for power. I will go back to my critique, though, that HBO has a clear agenda. I don't know, my cousin called me Josh, and I'm sure he's watching right now, but he called me last week. Your, your criticism of the show, it was good, but you ain't read the books. And so you don't really know what you're talking about because that stuff you were saying about uh, Renara and Allison and whatever, they're going to be the biggest hoes on the show. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, I get it. Uh, you know, I haven't read the books and maybe I don't know, but they have a clear agenda with this show. And we saw it again last night. The patriarchy is horrible. It's the worst thing that man has ever invented. And men are standing in the way of women uh, getting everything that they deserve. And, <clears throat> I, and so just, I'm not wrong about that. I went and read reviews last night of episode two. Here's what the New York Times, I believe, yeah, we're starting with the New York Times. Uh, here's what they had to say that caught my attention. Uh-oh, uh I'm reading the wrong thing. Let me find the New York Times. Here we go, the New York Times. Uh, a this is the beginning of their review of episode two. A couple of centuries in Westeru's future, in the same garden, I think, where King Viserys went on a blind date with a child on Sunday, Cersei Lannister will tell the soon-to-be splooshed Oberian Martell one of the saddest things anyone has ever heard. Quote, Everywhere in the world, they hurt little girls, she said. That's the end of the quote. Then the New York Times goes on. We saw the truth of these words this week in House of the Dragon. No matter whether the girl in question is wealthy, a 12 or 15-year-old being offered to a middle-aged man in order to improve her father's positioning, a scorned woman who has been literally sold so many times she doesn't remember where she is from, or an actual princess being disrespected by a bitter uncle and marginalized in her own home by a father who won't even ask if it's cool for him to marry her best friend, it's going to hurt. That's why I have three very smart ladies on the set with me today. Jill Savage, Tiffany Odom returned. We've added a third, Lauren Chin, who's actually read all the books and Lauren has a big following and we're happy to add you to the mix. And so, 
Uh, Lauren, because you're our first guest, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go to Jill and Tiffany. Uh, the point of the show seems to be like, man, the world is really unfair to women. And, and it, am I right? Is that the point of the show? And is that reflective of how women feel? Is the world just absurdly unfair to women? Well, I think we got, we got a lot of talk about here because we have the message that the books and George R. R. Martin is trying to convey, the message the showrunner is trying to convey, and then what the world is actually like. And all of these things, in my opinion, are different. Right, because obviously, like your cousin, I think you said it was Josh. Uh, mm -hmm. Josh, he's right. Uh, if you actually look at the lore behind Dance of the Dragons, uh, obviously, uh, Rhaenyra and Allison, they end up kind of being honestly the ones behind this huge power struggle that ends up killing a bunch of people. A bunch of dragons end up dying. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler because, like, obviously, that like this is the point of the show. Um, so. I think George R. R. Martin, he's a lot more of the opinion that the power for struggle is evil. It, it is part of who everyone is, man or woman, and women can have their own ambitions as well. We saw that with Cersei Lannister. George R. R. Martin's writings, they're not, they're feminists in that they present men and women as equals, but they're not feminist in the sense that we see nowadays so often where it's men, bad, women, good, right? So I think the actual story that your cousin referring to, he's right. Um, you know, they're not the good guys at the end of the day. It's not a pro-woman uh, storyline. However, if we look at what the showrunners and the actors involved with the series have said, we see that HBO was taking kind of a different spin on this because Olivia Cook, who plays Allison, um, she's on record saying that her and Rhaenyra, uh, their characters, they've looked at each other and sometimes it's like, oh, if it were just us and none of these men, then everything would be okay. That, that's kind of a different message than what we see from the books and the idea that, you know, ultimate power and the quest for it corrupts everybody. Um, so I think you're right, and we kind of started to see with this episode more than the first episode that there's really that heavy agenda, right? We are seeing more and more that, all right, these women are being pitted against each other as like, and not only against the men, but also against each other, but almost as these helpless figures that we are just subject to the whims of our reality, whereas the men are in control of everything. If we look at how reality was, even in terms of the Middle Ages, which this lore is based off of, yes, women had rights denied to them, but so did, so did men, right? You didn't want to be a serf or a peasant or a warrior. This was not a good time for anybody, even if you want to put yourself in the place of the king in this uh, Viserys, he doesn't want to have to marry a child right when his wife just died. No, no one in this situation is having a good time. Um, and I think that would almost be a better, more poignant message to, to assert that like when some of our rights are denied, ultimately all of our rights are denied. But instead, I, I am more and more worried about we're going to be getting some woke messaging shoved down our throat the longer the show goes on. Mm. That was my little spiel. <laughs> That was really good. Well, following that should be how do you <laughs> should be easy. She's read the book. She she knows it all. No, but I, I love the point that you made just specifically about the men in this because if you're the king, yeah, it's great. But what do we even see with the king? He's being shown as weak, and we see him as oh, this is a guy that's not going to be going out and dating and, and courting the twelve-year-old. Oh, good. This is a win for regular people out there. <laughs> But then you, he just keeps going down the line and every character trait that they possess with for him, it's like you see him as weaker and weaker and weaker. He has illness after illness now in two episodes, two different things, just to reiterate mm -hmm. that point over and over. But then you look, obviously, the uh, princess and her girlfriend, as, as we call him, Alessant, she is also going to go out and make sure that she has the most power for herself. And I thought it was interesting because I watched... 
after the episode, they had the actors talk about it. And Alessant, the character that played her, said after the show, oh, my mom died in the show. So I understood what the king was going through. And I was there just to comfort him. I didn't have any ambition. And I thought, does, does this girl know what the show is about? Because all, every single move, and maybe she didn't know it in her mind yet, but her dad, Otto Hightower, mm -hmm. definitely knew what he was doing when he's like, hey, King's Chambers, let's go, young lady. Wear your mother's dress. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Look nice for the king. Um, and then, you know, she did strike up a friendship with him, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it was so that she could get power herself. So Jason, to your point of this show does have all of the cool things that we liked about Game of Thrones, which was that quest for power and to figure out how humans interact. But it's we're looking at this from a very wealthy perspective, mm -hmm. right? We're not yeah. looking at the, the serfs, the peasants out there and, and the men still aren't going to have it good. So is it good to be a woman at that time? No. Is it good to be a man at that time? We're going to see a lot of them die, too. It's not like they have it easy. They might have an easier path, but at the end of the day, it's not easy. Tiff? I don't even know how to follow all that. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Do your own thing. <laughs> um, something I notice is that um, they try to pave a way for women. Um, Renara said, when I'm queen, I will create a new era. So it was gearing that toward- That was her Chelsea Clinton moment. Yes. Yeah, that oh, for that sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, women don't like other women in power, so it creates jealousy. This is why women are not designed to rule. That's just kind of something I gathered myself. Um, they don't know how to act. <laughs> that, that's interesting. You, you, you honestly, feel that way well again, I'm i mean not think about how women compete against each other just in everyday life you don't think men do they do but i think women do it in a different way women I mean, do, do it with agree a smile with on their face I, and pretend yeah. like they don't do it yeah. yeah maybe they just yeah some women can i i agree with you and i have a theory related to evolutionary biology i would actually all like like to share with you all that is based on nothing except just like an opinion, so take it for what it's worth. But I agree that I think men tend to work better cooperatively than women. And I think if like if we think about hunter-gatherer days, think about it, men had an incentive to hunt together, to work together, where if you look at women's roles traditionally, in the family gathering, we don't have an incentive to partner with other women our age, right? There's no, like I guess, inter-cooperation that's happening there. Um, so I think you're like, you're right. Like the, often, the competitiveness between women—it's actually cattier and more yeah, destructive interpersonally than between men. I would be interested to see if this show highlights that, like the dark side of female ambition. I don't know if they will, though. Well, and you always hear like "mama bear," right? Yeah. That's a term because they're so protective mm -hmm. and possessive of the things that they have, and that would definitely go in line with with your theory. Yeah, we're so we're going to sign up. We're going to subscribe. Well, I, I would, what I would chime in here with is that uh, women have a more natural desire for monogamy than men. And, and men should, if like we have to be very smart, we have to be biblically sound to understand the benefits of monogamy, in my view. And, and so I can see why when you made the point about there's less incentive for women to work together because 
women are like, I, I desire monogamy. I know that man over there that I'm married to, his instincts aren't the same as mine. So why would I even bring mm -hmm. this other element into our dynamic? And, and again, it's like men are more trusting, perhaps foolishly or naively. We can bring men into our dynamic because we tend to trust our wives a little bit more and, and have reason to. So I, man, you guys are, are really making fascinating points. I, I want to, and because uh, I know that Lauren has read the book, so I'm gonna start with Tiffany, then Jill, then Lauren on this one. One of my takeaways from last night, confirmed from the, the first episode when I told you all in, after the first episode, I was like, uh, Renara has some sort of crush on Allison, and and you know she's sitting in her lap in the first episode. I want to fly on dragons and see the world with you, baby. And and so I'm like, there, there's this lesbian thing going on, and I felt like last night, the way she reacted to her father choosing her best friend, confirmed this whole lesbian aspect and the messaging I think of the show as it relates to Renard's character is gonna be, well, this world wasn't so patriarchal and men weren't in control of things. Renaria would be happily coupled off with Alicent, uh, but she's gonna be forced, as they kind of say in the previews, she's gonna be forced to get married. And, and I come away with, and again, this will be interesting for Lauren because she's read the books, but I, I left last night's episode going, she's gonna marry Damon uh, because one, she don't like men. She'd rather be with Allison or whatever, but she's gonna end up marrying her uncle uh, for power. And, and it'll be some compromise decision because you know I don't really care, I don't really like men, and so I'm gonna be married to my cousin. But I, I just felt like last night there were more signals that uh, Renard, according to the showrunners at HBO or whatever, is a lesbian and this world is so unfair, she can't go all, she can't transition into being a man. They don't have the technology yet. <laughs> <laughs> and she's denied the love affair with her best friend, and they're gonna show you like, oh, she had to settle for marrying her uncle. It's funny, cause like, when she was laying in the lap, I see where you could have got that she wanted to be with her friend. Have you ever laid in the lap of your best friend and said, I want to fly around on well, dragons no, and, I'm not said and eat that, cake? But I probably said, let's go to the beach or <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Um, I can see that. But then whenever she chose the knights, I thought maybe she was going to have a crush on the one knight. I thought that was going to be a love it's story. It's a business that, decision. I know, all, all but there was. girls think, thought that. Yeah. All three of us thought that. Yeah. Well, there, that, You're that, the only... there's that scene at the tourney where she's like, who's that night? I, like, yep. yeah. Yeah. There's, it, it maybe it's short lived, but she was definitely betrayed by her father. Her father knew that was her best friend. Didn't tell her, didn't warn her and blindsided her. So she's going to rebel. And that's why she's going to go to Damon to get back at her father. And, and, the word betrayal there. Yeah. Her father betrayed her. You agree with that? Uh, she is a woman scorned, and you can totally tell the way that she just turned around and walked out, that she was not okay with that, which, in my opinion, confirms the lesbian tendencies. There's, I, I don't think that 
personally, I, I could not see it any other way than that. Um, and then when I look at, they've, they've been placing the, the Damon uh, Rhaenyra storyline. Oh, here, let me give you this necklace. Oh, hey, you know what? I'm going to be the one that comes in flying on my dragon. And I know that there's a whole army of men here, but he'll listen to me. He'll do what I ask him to do. Oh, here's the, here's the dragon egg back, honey. Let's, all right, go ahead. So it, it is setting it up in, in shorter little snippets, if you will. But when I look at it, yeah, total woman scorned vibes there from, from her best friend, which will turn her into other men. And she'll just say, hey, if I can't have you, I'll just go with all these other guys. Well, I think... Regardless of whether it was the strategic thing for Viserys to say, I'm going to marry Alicent, which it, it also wasn't, um, at the very least, he should have given his daughter a heads up. Be like, hey, BT dubs, your best friend, going to wife her six months after your mother and uh, brother just died. Just wanted you to know. Uh, so that definitely was a flaw there. And I feel like that really bothers me in TV shows where it's like, if people just communicate, well, I guess we wouldn't have a show because everyone would get along. Well, that's real life, too. Yeah, that's true. Come that is real on, life Hold on as for well. a second, though, Lauren, because I, I saw other people online make that argument. Should have given her heads up. You got to get in the mindset of a king. You don't Whatever he does yeah, yeah. is approved. Right. That's the way he's treated. Every, oh, you just farted in my face? Oh, that's the best smelling fart ever, King. And so he just gets comfortable <laughs> farting in people's face. But I get even within the context of the show, in episode two, the king is saying, how is like Rhaenyra? We haven't talked as much. And apparently he doesn't like that because they're really close. And in the books, they're portrayed as having this really great relationship. And even Allison's like, well, you should probably go to her. Try to talk to her. And, you know, we have that whole dynamic. And then, like, literally, 20 minutes later he's like by the way I'm gonna make this huge decision uh, and I'm not even gonna give her a heads up it's like that seems a little internally inconsistent in my opinion too like I feel like the blow would have been softer if he would have given her a heads up because at this point he's like alienating everyone from him which I think the show is doing on purpose right he's alienated himself from Damon now the small council as well now even his own daughter it's he's just like he's burning bridges everywhere okay how about this one then not to cape for the king but I will have we explored the possibility that he went to the other guy who's on the king's council and he's like, yeah, you should, you should marry Linnea, the, the 12-year-old. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, you should. Everybody's telling him you should marry the 12-year-old. And you know what? I, I don't think there's any other context that I would say this, but he probably should have married the 12-year-old. <laughs> that, yeah, that's probably the best decision in this But point. then that wouldn't have made a shame. And so, yeah. listen, I think what happened was when he did have a conversation with his daughter uh, that kind of danced around the issue of marriage, she gave off all the signs like, yeah, you should marry the 12 year old. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the dad is sitting there, the king is sitting there saying, if I tell my daughter, she's gonna throw such a tantrum about me marrying her best friend that now I'll be in this awkward position where everybody has told me to marry the 12 year old and I'll have no choice but to marry. And so it's his only way to marry Allison was to not tell his daughter because she would have been another person to object and say, marry this 12 year old. It's a better strategic decision because he had already seen her earlier in the episode. Give him, hey, let's do a show of force. Let, let me ride down on some dragon and scare the hell out of him. And so she's already thinking strategically like everybody else. And so perhaps he intentionally didn't tell her because he knew what her answer would be. 
I guess, I mean, that's still short-sighted on his point because you're maybe saving yourself conflict in the moment of her being upset, but it's like, bro, she's just going to be even more upset later. Like, you're probably better off telling her, but I'm kind of interested to see, you know, the next episode, what the fallout's going to look like, how they're going to portray that, because um, obviously he's still king, he's still her father, but I, I don't know, I'm just... What is that relationship going to look like between the two of them? Yeah, it went from communicate, 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 like the king and the girlfriend, the daughter and the girlfriend, and then they were sitting there, father and daughter, at the table. They were trying to get that line of communication open, and then all of a sudden, just like nope. nothing, just <laughs> on the last. But it really is one of those, let's ask for forgiveness and Rather, not yeah. for permission. That's what he did, and he's the king, so that is probably Which now he created a storm. She's gonna bring on the dragons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she I, is. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the other. Uh, oh man, I just had a 55 year old brain fart. I was gonna give you the the other aspect of his decision. Was oh, we're sitting here judging him about the youth of Allison is 15, 16 years old. Obviously, Lenina or whatever is 12 years old. But I would tend to think in that time, there are whores at the whorehouse, and then there's everybody above 16 who's married. And then, so what are his options? Who, 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 who are, I don't know if there was this big wide range of 35 or to 45 year olds for him to marry. There, in that time, if you don't have a husband, you're probably in a whorehouse somewhere because things are so brutal. Again, that's where I go back. We love to pass judgment on previous generations and the patriarchy they set up. Well, I want to take all these people from 2020 and drop them in those times and say, okay, you go eat without a husband. Yeah, the king's probably not looking for a widow, right, <laughs> on his dating profile. Like, hey, hot widow wanted. That's not what he's going to do. So that does make sense that it would be somebody younger, unmarried. Child-rearing um, age. Ch yeah, he needs an heir. That's, yeah. That is the whole goal. So, you know, some it hot It was still hard to watch him walk down the the 12 year old, yeah. But, but, yeah, but it, like they I said, mean, they're know, not going to bet him until 14. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, way, way later. <laughs> Why are we even. That way was later. Yeah. That was and this other girl's only right 15 there. right now, we should <laughs> yeah. all remember. Yeah. Uh, the other girl's only 15 right yeah. now, we should remember. So we're like, oh, 14. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but we're all cool with him, like, dating the best friend. Uh, uh, and that is actually a difference that they've changed from the books. In the books, when this is all happening, Alicent and Rhaenyra are actually much younger. Um, so they've actually aged those characters up for this, even though they're still very young. Um, and it's like in the in the books, Daenerys is also much younger than she's portrayed as as well. Uh, so I think even so. At like, the time the king marries Alicent, she's younger than fifteen. Yeah, I forget exactly what it is, but she's definitely younger. Um, but you know, regarding it's like, well, it's easy for us to judge. I think it's also I, I was reading a thread on online about this. Uh, apparently child marriages were not as common in the Middle Ages as like sometimes it's made out to be on TV shows, uh, you know, especially for like most working class people or whatever, I guess at the time, peasants, serfs, even, you know, artisans, whatever, um, unless it was a arrangement for power, which really only higher class families did, there's really no benefit to marrying off a 12 year old, right? Or, or a 13 year old, not saying that it was all right that it happened at all, but uh, you know, some perspective, because I think this show is trying to essentially um, 
make it out that all women everywhere have always been married off at 12. Thankfully, that's not the case. To but me, also, didn't they do that because women, I mean, people didn't live as long back then. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? They and died I mean, of just, stuff, so they didn't. I, 12 is the new 35. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, I, I want to start here and ask you this. Me, being a man, I'm bothered by the anti-man narrative of this show. Does it even cross your mind that the show has an anti-man narrative? Um, I mean, I can see it. I could see it a little bit whenever the two princesses were talking last night and fighting over power, and it was very focused on them. That was very anti-man. But does it bother you? Does well, yeah. I, it's feminist, feminism, whatever. So yeah. it does. It it it. Does it hurt your enjoyment of the show? No. All TV shows these days have hidden messages. So I try to, like, as I said, I just watch it as going in as a, just a TV show, which if you look at it any other way, you cannot enjoy a show these days. You can't. It's shoved down your throat. Yep. Mm -hmm. it, they're trying to normalize everything. Yeah. And so, one, I mean, to me, the king... Uh, seems to be the only man on the show with any morality. Yeah. He's uncomfortable with the 12-year-old. He's heartbroken about his wife and seems to have genuine respect for her. Uh, but he's also the weakest person and the most inept person on the show. And every other man, including Otto the Hand, Otto's offering his daughter up for power and uh, who the Lord Olerys or the black? Who's the black dude? Uh, Corliss. Corliss, yeah, Lord Corliss. Oh my God, he's offering his twelve-year-old yeah. up, and his name's the Sea Snake. Uh, <laughs> Damon is a nut job. Uh, but my favorite. Can we all agree? Yeah, yeah. That's, we decided that in episode one. Yeah. Damon's your favorite? Oh yeah, he's a drama queen and like a shiz disturber. I but just so like far Mara. I love it. He he. <laughs> the I don't show know needs why him. I like her. Yeah, I like her. Who? Vernara. Oh, Am I saying yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. You're supposed to like her. That's yeah. the whole point of the show. I know. She's I the like narrator. Her. <laughs> <laughs> She's the but anyway, I I as women, are you all uncomfortable with the anti male or the portrayal of men in a show like this? Or, or Maybe it's enjoyable. The way that they do make the king as the weakest one in their signaling you can't be both kind and strong at the same time, that is annoying. And to go back to something that you said earlier in the show, they will be pushing woke messaging down our throats later. We are seeing that being set up right now when the two princesses are talking to each other and the queen who never was was like, oh, well, they didn't want me. And that is the total Hillary Clinton moment, right? <laughs> and then the princess is like, they, they bend the knee to me, though. Not, they didn't like you, but they're, they're cool with me already. And she came back and she goes, oh, do they say that when you fill their cups? You know, like just that bickering and, and infighting. But we're going to see them, I think, just come through and be so heroic. We already saw with, with um, Rhaenyra coming in and saving the day on the back of her dragon. And so to me... I'm not annoyed with it quite yet, but I have a feeling that I will be very annoyed with it the later the show goes on. So, in my opinion, 
there's some distinctions to be made because I, I've heard people complain that the show is going to be woke just on the basis of the storyline, it having to do with a, a power struggle line of succession, uh, succession with a female heir. Um, I don't think that's innately woke because if, if that's the case, then any any story about Henry VIII is going to be innately woke. You know, you don't need to. It doesn't need to be social justice infused just to have a discussion or a show about how like medieval power structures did not prefer female heirs, right? That, that we can have that conversation and talk about it. it doesn't need to come across as man-hating or male bashing, right? But where it crosses into preaching, in my opinion, is when it departs from there's this power structure and there are these characters trying to interact within it into all the men on the show are bad, all the women on the show are good, right? Like there's a difference there. Um, and so I think we are starting to creep into the wokeness because like we've all been saying, there's really no redeemable male characters aside from maybe the king, but even then his weakness is being weak. Um, so I feel like it is not enjoyable as a woman watching this that it comes across as like male bashing because ultimately it is bad writing. Like when you can so neatly fit characters into good versus bad at all, but especially based on something as artificial as gender lines, that's lazy. That's not interesting. And also that's something that George R. R. Martin himself didn't do. And we see that in Game of Thrones. Like. I mean, at least the earlier seasons, Cersei's not a good character. Even like with his plan to make Daenerys into the villain, she's not a good character either. And she's, you know, obviously strong, independent woman who don't need no man. Uh, so yeah, it bothers me. N not even necessarily because it's like ideologically opposed to what I believe. It's just lazy writing. And we've already seen this to me in Game of Thrones when, you know, uh, Arya Stark became the hero of all heroes mm -hmm. and the person uh, with perfect character and she kills the Night King. And, and Jill offered up an interesting theory that maybe you can answer. Uh, is Damon the Night King? Or, or no. Or is it, I don't think that's a spoiler, it's no. So originally with Game of Thrones having ended, HBO was going to do another show called Blood Moon that was dealing with like the first men and everything way, way before this. Um, so that was going to tell the story of how the Night King came about. So we're only 200 years before uh, like Daenerys and what happened in Game of Thrones. So the Night King, that's actually like way older. They look alike. Yeah, the, the armor. That's what she thought. She thought yeah. he was, I was like, King. Why give, the give face. me this. Because, the because he's, so, he's so power hungry. I was like, yeah. man, if he could just be like, I can't have it in this world. <laughs> I'll take over the deads. But that's kind of what I was almost disappointed with when I heard that they were going to be doing a series, or the first series we would get, because I think they're planning multiple spin-offs, was going to be the Dance of the Dragons, because I feel like I'm the opposite of you, not that I don't like the political intrigue, but I do like the fantasy element. And there are so many other stories within the realm of like that George R. R. Martin created that I thought would be cooler to explain, like going through the origins of the White Walkers and things like that, or the Doom of Valyria. But, you know, you can't. I think the messaging that they want for right now and, and this will sound crazy. And, and, you know, you guys tell me if I'm a nut job for thinking this, but everything is so focused on the 2024 election yeah. mm -hmm. that this show is just it's directed at the midterms. It's directed at the 2020. It's all about we've got to put the messaging out that the woke side of things is good, and this whole world has just been completely unfair to women, and, and God, man, they've just given women a bad deal, 
And so that's probably why they didn't go the fantasy angle and they went the political angle is because they need to be on message for writing. And there'll probably be three or four seasons of this, right? They've already Mm -hmm. renewed for a season two. So this is about this next election cycle. And we'll probably, I I don't know, Damon will probably end up being the Donald Trump of, of, of this show. Make Westeros yes. great again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's a lot like Hitler, though. Hitler. Well, exactly, yeah. who's pretty much Donald Trump. That's so what the Nazis will tell you. Yeah, he was, yeah I guess. He, but he was, but Donald Trump is not Hitler. Right. Yes. <laughs> Same people yeah. understand this. Yeah. Neither is Damon. Uh, <laughs> as far as we know. Last thing, uh, and I don't, Lauren, I would imagine you watched The Wire. No, actually. I, see, why has no woman... Have you watched yes, The Wire? Yes, of oh, course have. I have watched The Wire. Okay, it is no. one of the greatest You're shows of all time. You're a pop culture buff. Everything, I know. I, that's I, like not okay. reading the Bible and being Dis- a... Disclaimer, <laughs> I have not seen The Wire, and I didn't finish Breaking Bad. What okay, the chips on the... T- like, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big... F- I've watched all of Breaking Bad. I I, Breaking I'm, not, Bad. I'm not as much... You've seen The Sopranos, though, right? No. Okay, in my we have a lot in common, man. Her over there. I, I feel like I was kind of young when that came out, and I just never went back and like. Watched How old are you it. right now? Eighteen. I know I'm. Tw- <laughs> <laughs> I'm 28, so I remember my parents would watch it, but I wasn't allowed to because I was like HBO, like right, you know. It's almost hard to continue with this conversation. <laughs> I, I was so excited. Anyway, what I was gonna say about the wire, and Jill can relate, <clears throat> is. And it's what you're basically saying uh, House of Dragons had the chance to be. The Wire showed you politicians, policemen, and drug dealers. And made you understand everybody in that group was making the best decisions based on their situation and circumstances. There, even because, you know, I can't. It's like The Wire, it's written by David Simon, a former newspaper guy, he covered crime and the drug trade in Baltimore. And even like Prez Belusky, this this white cop with all the right intentions, ends up being a school teacher, but he's the most violent cop. He uh, blinds some little poor black kid with the butt of his gun and all this other, and it was kind of trying to show you that, and again, this was before Darren Wilson and Michael Brown, but it was basically saying, look, man, these cops do stupid things, they make mistakes, but they're not the worst people in the world. Even the ones you see caught up in the news cycle because Press Belusky was very likable, well-intentioned, just had no business being a cop. And, and so that's what I loved about The Wire. No one was inherently more evil than anybody else, and it just got at the truth. And I've looked at where HBO has pivoted and where TV has pivoted, is you can't tell that truth. You can't humanize, because they humanize drug dealers. We hear all the drug dealers are all, they kill, they do all this, blah, 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 but you watch The Wire and you actually have Bodie, again, this means nothing to you all, but (laughs) to me and Jill it means a lot. One of the most likable guys on the show, uh, Omar, is the most likable guy on the show. And so I, I just, TV has moved away from remotely telling universal truths and uh, putting people on equal footing. Everything now is there's certain groups 
that are bad people. And, and I almost even think with this House of Dragons, the, uh, the black guy, I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Corliss. Corliss. They basically said, okay, he's going to be a bad guy, but let me walk you through the backstory of how he had to fight to overcome and do all this. So his being a bad guy is kind of justified. It's like they made an excuse. Yeah, we're both second sons. We've had it yeah. rough. Mm. Yeah, we had it rough. And that's, if I end up being dissatisfied with the show, that's going to, they could have done something great that sounds like what the book, it sounds like you think the book is awesome. Well, I mean, I don't want to be one of those people like, the book is so much better. Blah, blah, blah. Like, look <laughs> at me, I can read. Um, but I, I think in terms of storytelling, it just seems like the writers at HBO right now are defaulting to these kind of character stereotypes, which is not as interesting as it sounds like The Wire, where you have these in-depth characters that have shades of gray to them. You know, you're not all bad, you're not all good. It's like, well, you know, second suds, let, let's see a little bit of your redeeming qualities and your bad, uh, you know, to make you a fully rounded out person versus like, oh, I am bad guy, you are bad guy, let's team up and have this bad guy alliance, which it, we may be falling into with uh, House of the Dragon. HBO, another very famous show, Sex in the City, they went through and they had very dynamic characters yes. the first time around, right? This is why so many people fell in love with it because it was, you know, Carrie was everybody, but they all had their different roles that they would play. They brought it back, right? They had two different movie versions in between, but then they said, oh, here's another season of Sex and the City. I got through one episode oh, with yes, my sister. Terrible. It terrible. was horrible. They went so woke. They went so hard with it. Like Cynthia Nixon was you know, the, the, the lesbian yeah. in the show. And Hold on, whoa. Well, I never, show, you know, I never was life. someone that watched life. Sex in the City. And you I did? No, and everybody watched Sex in oh, the I City, but I never watched it. <laughs> but then, like, she was just, like, apologizing for this, yeah, she, to this she professor. Yeah, Yeah, and it, it was like, why, why are we sitting here watching you apologize to this professor over and over and over again and, like, digging yourself a deeper hole? Like, this isn't entertaining television. They had such a good product that everybody loved and they brought it back and they went so woke that they won't have, like their franchise to me is now over. Did they cancel it or is it still going? No, I There's no way. Sure. There's no I'm way that they're sure. gonna get another people, uh, enough yeah. people to say, oh yeah, that was I tried great. to start the Kevin Hart, um, Mark Wahlberg movie that just came out on Netflix and immediately was cramming stuff in your face. Within the first 20 minutes, I couldn't even finish it. Oh, I wish I knew the name of it so I could I don't it. know the name of it, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pretty much well, they were trying know. to be like, if you're not telling a little girl, if you're not a male, you you can get that maybe later down in life. They said that to the little girl in the show, and I had to, like, turn off yeah. the show. That shit needs to Me time? Yes. Me time. That's the name of the show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Within the yeah. first 15, 20 minutes, like, yeah. that, they yeah. had, that was the first line, and I was like, oh, my God. Well, I mean, it's not even hidden anymore. It's, like, there. There, I mean... I referenced the canceled Game of Thrones spinoff prequel uh, that was supposed to have, I think, Naomi Watts. But reportedly, the reason why that got canceled is because it was insufferably woke and the studio just had no confidence in it. So they actually said, you know what, it's better to bite the bullet, lose all the money we've invested in making this pilot, yep. then go forward with it. Um, so with House of the Dragon and stuff, I mean, I, I'm curious to see how bad it could be because it seems like the people at HBO must have some sort of like, okay, we can't go full on like just 
activism, at least with our main shows. Maybe they thought they could get away with it for Sex in the City because it's like, oh, well, it's targeted toward women. Women love social justice, which right. honestly, they're right for the most part, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, I'm hoping that they have enough sense with House of the Dragon to realize audiences aren't going to sit around. I mean, look what happened to Batwoman, the CW in general. Like, there's enough of a track record of Get Woke, Go Broke right now that I'm hoping if good writing doesn't win through, then at least financial sensibility might. That's Literally, interesting. Hollywood. It could have been worse is what you just told me. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. and, and it makes me think about, I watched Bill Maher on Fridays and just how he's pivoted and is more, far more down the middle than he used to be. And maybe that's a calculated business decision that HBO is making, although uh, they're still pretty woke with their guests, Rob Reiner and whoever, Amy, Amy Klobuchar, I think was on. It's horrible this weekend with those two. Bill's good. All right. This was awesome. <laughs> this, I have really a question was. for her. Yeah, go um, since she read the books, isn't he harder on women in the books than HBO is making it, or do I have that wrong? Who, who, he, George R. R. It, Martin? Yeah. Like harder on women in what way? Just, I, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm trying to come across and say, but he's not how it's showing that women, have, there's power for women in the whole feminist approach. In the books, I don't think it's that way, right? Well, no, I, I mean, I, I have a pretty low tolerance for like feminist messaging and stuff. And I feel like he writes women well in that they also have flaws. And men, conversely, also have positive attributes. And right there, that knocks out like 99% of modern day feminism, right? Just right. seeing that people aren't good or bad based on their gender. Um, so if you look at how the books portray someone like Allison, for example, or Rhaenyra, they're definitely not heroes. You don't look at them and think like, oh yes, a feminist icon, truly. So it's television, Hollywood, yeah. HBO. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. That was awesome. Perhaps the best segment we've ever done on this show. <laughs> certainly the best looking. Because you're surrounded by uh, women. I know. <laughs> certainly the best looking. Because I look really good today. So anyway, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>